Hi, welcome to Merns Voices, a podcast created by Merns writers. We're a group that meets twice weekly in Stonehaven and in Verberveen, and we've been active for more than a dozen years now. We've a large and varied mix of focus members, and I hope you'll get a flavour of that from this, our first podcast. So, just sit back, relax, maybe have a wee something to comfort your spirits, as Robert Henderson put it, and enjoy a mini-festival of words and voices in Scots and English. Words that explode, words that bite, words that resonate eerily and atmospherically, words that bring a moment or a creature to life, words that simply bounce with joy at their own effervescence, words that whisper in the air, words that expose folly like a scalpel. As Hamlet said, words, words, words. Our first poem is a mordant piece of contemporary social comment from Marka Riffett, The Land of Empty Plinths. Lewis Carroll would love this one, a statuesque conundrum. How do we commemorate those some people love to hate, while others grapple for the right to keep a statue in plain sight? Few are heinous, birth to death, and few spotless to our last breath. When looking deep into the looking glass, who can say that they are blameless? Most of these dusty pigeon rests were ignored by the scrolling hordes. Some drew righteous flames for years, but bureaucrats turned tin ears to reviled names and deeds. Appalled petitioners filed their claims and called for change, but pleas were left to rust, as did bronze men on marble stumps. And now all heroes seem fair game even those predating slaving shame, to the numpty with a spray can, who'll never know the right from the wrong man. So are we left just angels and stone lions amid a toppled forest of columns? That's an elegantly polished satire, Marka. The spirit of Alexander Pope is alive and well. What lies behind it? The land of empty plinths is one of several poems I wrote recently, prompted by items in the news. Articles are a very good source of inspiration and can lead to wonderful works, for example, by Albert Camus and by Val McDermott. This poem was spurred by the anti-slavery statue toppling in Bristol and the groundless defacement of the Robert the Bruce monument. Our next reading is A Spooky Tale for All Hallows' Eve by Elsa Roebuck. It came with the breaking of day, the great storm on old Hallows' Eve. Wind tore through the trees and over the fields, it howled round the houses and moaned down the chimneys like a soul that was damned. Rain drummed on the rooftops and shutters and none went abroad that day. They stayed by the hearth and shivered. Women stirred the pots, hung over the fire. The children were quiet and huddled together, all listened to the storm without. For they knew this was the night 
the dead would be walking and it made them afraid and Tom listened too young Tom was a lad whose kin no one knew lived in a ruin at the end of the town not far from the river he could hear the river today it'll be flooding the meadows he thought and he was glad of his fire the thick soup for his supper the apples he'd stored and chestnuts to roast and while the storm raged he told himself stories the ones he remembered of knights and dragons of daring adventures and noble deeds and thought of doing the same when grown and not still a lad of ten summers the storm was louder than ever as dusk deepened tonight this night when the dead would walk but Tom had drawn his covers about him and slept the deep dreaming sleep of a child then suddenly when the night reached its darkest hour the storm was gone and a great brooding silence lay over all for the time had come the time of the dead they rose from the graves the ditches the hovels some came from fine houses and they stumbled through the streets and the lanes and the venals they came over the yards and the gardens the river their goal wraiths they were barely visible the old and the young children as well those who had been rich those who had been poor it made no difference there were so many that night yet they passed unheard for the town was asleep Tom slept too until a crying a knocking and scratching woke him he felt the fear take him but the cry came again so piteous now please help me for I cannot go on though I must please help me and Tom opened his door he saw that the moon was high and bright in the sky he needed no man and he saw what looked like a piled drift of leaves at his door it spoke and Tom realized this was the race of a boy of ages with him but with limbs so made that Tom knew this boy never had walked and could not walk now yet somehow he dragged himself here and it must have been hard there were no other race to be seen already they passed and this boy was left far behind please help me the boy cried for I must reach the river if I'm to pass from this world if I fail I must wander forever as a ghost who should not be here and never know peace or rest and Tom's fear was gone now he felt only pity for this race of a boy can I carry you on my shoulder he asked 
the race said he could. And in this way they made for the river. You'll not be harmed, said the race. I feel it is so, said Tom. Tom was strong, and the wraith weighed nothing at all. At the turn of the road was the bank of the river, now running fast with the rain that had fallen yet. The boatman managed it easily, and wraiths, each bearing a coin for the fair, waited their turn to be ferried across. Tom saw not the other side of the river where they went, for when the boat reached the place where the two worlds were joined this night, the boat dissolved into mist. But soon they could see it again, returning, empty, to gather the next who waited. When Tom reached them, the wraiths drew aside, murmuring, let him pass. You see what he carries. And they did. And Tom passed the boy to the boatman, who took him gently into the boat and pulled away from the shore. And the boy called out, My name was Joe Greenwood, as the boat drew away. Tom raised his arm in farewell and washed, till Joe Greenwood became mist and gone from this world. Then he turned, making his way through the wraiths who still waited, and as he passed, he felt them touch him, though the touch could barely be felt. Well done, young Tom, well done, they said. Fear not the dead, for though the body is lost, the spirit stays true. And you'll be remembered for your deed this night. The end. The opening's powerfully atmospheric, Elsa, but there's quite a shift by the ending. Why did you take the story that way? I wanted a Halloween story that kept the scary bits, but also ended on a note of compassion and kindness. That's why I wrote it the way I did. You've certainly succeeded in that. Now, for a complete change in mood, here's a sombre poem of remembrance in Scots by Gloria Potter. Secret forest licht, hush it where neighbour sings, breathless waiting for leaf far, licht as cushy wing, leaves pass into glory of redened gold, like men they far quiet in silent ancient grove. In dappled sunlicht afore time shades mosses, where whistling winds car called, trees whisper loss. In token exchange o' death for life immortal. Here to wood, saved frae the rains o' fire, yet twin times cut rough and broken in flawed spires, made in the moment o a thoughtless axe, ridged uneven battle scars rin our hillbacks, but mountain ash and iron blue stain hud steady, where wild eyed hare sits and gold eagle soars again rueful starry skies. I mind an on the fallen. Gloria, there are some lovely lines in that, like men they fall quiet, 
a far whistling wind's call call, trees whisper loss. I know you were out walking when you wrote this, but what particularly prompted it? Further down the road, they had cut a swathe through Fetteresso Forest. It looked like a scar, but in the clearing there was new growth. I stood amongst the trees and watched the leaves fall. There was not a sound. I thought of the land and of the leaves falling, and I remembered it was Remembrance Day, 2019. And next we have a playful piece by Cheryl Margiotta. Words. Eat my words. Chop, dice, slice them. Mince them. Scramble them. Fling them against the kitchen walls. See which ones stick. Chuck them in the air just to see how they land. Serve them cold for dinner. Mark my words. Fold the corners and study them later. Quicksilver sharp, pierce and bruise. Let them simmer. Let them stew. Shout sweet somethings but save the best for dessert. I'm sorry. I forgive you. I love you. <laughs> An explosion of words on the subject of words. I love the way you turn the extended metaphor unexpectedly into conceit of love. How on earth did you get there? Well, this poem's really just a play on words, and I thought it was quite fun to have a go at looking at the significance of words. And, you know, phrases like sticks and stones will break my bones made me think actually how painful and how damaging words can be, sometimes far more than actual physical harm. So then I started to think about other phrases like mince my words and eat my words, and that led me into the kitchen. And I went off then thinking about what high pressure environment it is with the, the pressure cooker environment, if you like, and all the heat of a kitchen and the passion of that and then I thought I'd like a, a happy ending and a resolution for the poem so yes I had quite a lot of fun writing this one and it's fun to listen to our next poem is by Sandy Ingalls and it's in Scots Hunger Glacier steams, hard rocked my ears are coming gear bit as I start doing up a tappet toky swan gusty wafts let see by the canoe to the grenade Snock it like a tyke, hold my back, then getting down to the wood gang, eye moving and salt pee. Things smelt the hecht of sustenance, a meal tyke. We book it, but swack and yelled, feasing, juking, winding around boulders and weed. Holy and fairly stop it, by up-tearing tealy smells. Albeit, my own come to the water is trig, alcoholy, cleft and rubbing is look at it. Perch learned over the years, and I minded. A small pardon, then a pert, just a by-bit call it doon, afore moving further down the foreland. It shall rive to bits, and left atop a weed habit rock, his tent of my passage. Slithering eagerly between air and water, antlering sharks through thousand peary drops, glinting in the moonlight. For a hard gun, snorkin' for me a spray. Sign into the water with gun flowing, scushing water I do, burling, swirling, twirling, looking for a fishy to feed my hunger, and the kitlins biding on the sands at the heat of the foreland. That's a fine poem, Sandy. 
I like the greasy runesteen's heart frocht and the thousand peery drops glinting in the moonlight, or weed happet rock. It is the feel of an actual meeting with an otter. What inspired you to write the poem? Well, this time, the inspiration for horror came from a, a forenoon I spent down on the rocks at low tide, heading down towards the, the water line. I spotted this wee crab had been taken apart rather expertly. Lying on top of a weed habit rock, it definitely suggested it was done by an otter. And it, but it took a while for me to start thinking of the otter as a female otter and might have had kits. And that basically became the, the, the inspiration for the poem. The fact that she was there looking for something to feed her family, which were probably further back up the beach waiting for her. You've certainly imagined it very fully. And now for a complete change of pace to a strange tale of new ways of connecting remotely by Emma Myatt. Love in the time of COVID. I'm sick of being in my own company. I've been trying to write, but the ideas won't come. I've got nothing to say to anyone. Before the self-pity creeps in, I put on my walking boots, meow bye to the cat, and cross the field to the highest point, where the wind turbine stands like a huge alien flower. There's no wind, no thumping heartbeat of electricity being created, so I sit with my back to the silent grey metal and look out to sea, wondering how I'd describe its colour in a book. I squint upwards at the great white blades. I stopped writing, writing letters of complaint after the first wind farm. Now I have bets with myself about where they'll grow next. I close my eyes and I'm drifting away when, hello, my head snaps up. There's nobody here, just me and the view of the sea and the hills, dotted with fields, trees and alien flowers. Hello, 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 I reply. Who's this? I turn, search and, feeling very foolish, put my ear to the great stalk of the windmill. Who's this? Can you hear me? Yes, I say. Now I can. I put my hands on the cold surface and spread my fingers to press my ear closer, because it's the only thing that makes sense. What I hear next is like café noise mixed with film noir. Murmurs, laughter, a sense of lost people, black and white sounds fragmented into scenes. Conversation, confluence. Hello, says the voice I heard first. It's female and sure. Hi, I say back. You're new. Yes, I say. What? But I don't know what I'm asking. Like radio waves, it's new. Not everybody is what she says and I get a sense of it. Where are you? I ask into the metal. Brecon, she says. And you? Scotland, I say, in a field. There are echoes of and me, but I don't know to what. Listen and tune in, says the Brecon voice. So I do, and I start to hear odd words and phrases. Morphic, beach, sugar, keyhole, conducive. And then they said, I'm tired of being tired. Run out of masks. He doesn't love me. We have to fix it. Extinction. No more tests. My speech on Monday, the dentist. After a longer while, I start to hear conversations. I want to meet you. I'm not sure if I could, but we've been talking for months. They'd never believe how we met. 
We could try. And now I sleep better knowing you're out there. So do I. I've always felt alone. But it's now, it's like the you're at the end of a thought instead of a phone call. I know that exact feeling. I'm not lonely anymore. How could we use this? The government would shut us down. How could they? It's accidental, coincidental, perfect for deep adaptation. I drink it all in, all the words, all the bonding. There's a whole world of lonely people out there. For who else but the alone would walk to a windmill and think to put their ear to it? They're me and I am them. I walk home across the high field. At the top, I stop and look around. This part of Scotland is so dotted with wind farms, they're in every single view. But now they look different. They are love and hope and connection springing up from the ground. Not alien at all. If only. I get home, sit at my computer and start typing. I like the use of lists and a huge alien flower is such an effective image. What gave you the idea for the story? I got the idea for love in the time of COVID um, on one of my walks up to the windmill, which is near my house. And I was looking out at the windmills and I thought how much like socially distant humans they looked all standing around all over the place with spaces between them. And that just got me thinking about how great it would be if we could use them to communicate with all these other people who are a bit distant right now. I walked home and began writing. I've now written a part two, which is on my blog. <laughs> I can't wait to hear part two. If any of you want to catch up with part two of Emma's story, go to emmajmyatt.wordpress.com. That's E-M-M-A-J-M-Y-A-T-T dot wordpress dot com. Now, what have we next? It's a poem by David Potter. Echoes in a dolphin-tumbled wave. I'm walking in memories of seashells, light falling on pebbles and pearls, my ear as a seashell ever listening for glistening newborn worlds. Seahorse and starfish are swimming through shadow and shafts from above, dancing with luminescent plankton, myriad lives dance, push and shove. When the wind sweeps from every quarter and the sands are singing all round, the gulls and the gannets are spinning skyward, their nocents flash bound. At moontide, horizons catch starlight. Now hear the mighty waves roar. Sometime later, the seals will be crying, and a whale dives deeper than ever before. I do like the idea of horizons catching starlight. David, the poem has a wonderfully upbeat rhythm to it. Was that central to what prompted it? I was walking home along our country road when the first line, I'm walking in memories of seashores, slipped into my mind, and I think you can hear the rhythm of walking in the rhythm of the poem. After that, the drip feed of oceans, infinite images and memories, personal and universal, continued to flow through. You know, I've often thought there's something in the rhythmical nature of walking that's conducive to writing poetry. Our next poem, Bathers, is by John Wiggum Shutt. Cattle gather at the river like Parisian bathers. Black and white hides dapple the elder plants. 
belly in the silken water that slowly winds towards a sparkling sea rippling upon the far horizon. Above, atop a beehive belfry, attended by swallows swooping, a sleepy bell tolls, sonorous and long, across a gladed glen, calling the faithful long gone. Among them, Lewis Grassett Gibbon, late of this parish, where cushy dews call at sunset. The poem's powerfully visual, John, bellying the silken water and cattle-like Parisian bathers. Was there a particular image that led to this poem, John? Cushy dews call at sunset. I like that. My poem Bathers takes its title from the Bathers at Asnières, one of my favourite paintings by the French Impressionist artist Jean-Pierre Surat depicting a placid Parisian riverside scene of gentle vibrancy and timelessness on the banks of the Seine. The serenity and composure of the cattle standing in the burvy water on a hot summer's day reminded me of Surratt's composition. You certainly capture something of that serenity, John. Our last offering today is a poem of mine. A year or so ago, the caretaker at my work came back from a funeral he attended that morning at Crathers, and he couldn't stop talking about how well-appointed the place was, how bonny it was, generally what a privilege it was to be there, which led me to the following bit of fun. Baldarach For them it tacks an ugsome grew, for like as ne begart the spug, and they were buried in the grun, for creepy crawlies squirm and run. The share box were worm and gollach, and spiders twice the size of molach, for folk had swear to get as full as they would get if laird and mool. For them ne sicken to be planted, the when I find their wishes scanted, in a fear, the Lord bethank it. They winna need an earthy blanket, for a' they folk, there's countless hunters, fat are na fear to end up shunners. They have na need to be so solemn. Baldarach's just a place for them. So mind this handy apothem. Crathis is just the creme de la creme. Aye, just a bit of fun, but I'm tempted to apologise for that last pun. Well, that's all for this podcast. You can hear all of our podcasts on our website, and be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for updates. If you want to know more about Merne's writers, email us or message us. Bye for now, and thanks for listening.